0: We're going to go back to 1 Samuel this evening as we've been looking at the life of David this weekend. The reality is is that we are not there yet. And the reality is is that as beautiful as the bride is, and as beautiful as the building is, and as beautiful um, as our Savior is and these living stones that he is forming, yet we still have a great enemy. We still have a great enemy who wants to threaten um, the effectiveness of the building here on earth. And a great enemy who wants to do all that he can to come after Christ's bride. And so this evening, um, the title of the message is, The Ugliness of Sin. We just talked about the beauty, but the ugliness of sin and the grace of repentance. We'll get to some beauty, Lord willing, at the end. But we have to recognize when we come before God's Word, is that the Bible is very honest with us about the wretchedness of our sins. The Bible is very honest with us about the, um, the, the damage and the danger and the destructiveness of sin. And as we look to God's Word, as, as James tells us, it's like a mirror for us, isn't it? It's a mirror for us. And so let's look first this evening at some of the ugliness of sin. Let's look at Saul first of all. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to look at Saul briefly. Then we'll look at David. So in 1 Samuel 18, the context that we've already looked at some this weekend was when, it was when David, um, he, he, he was able to kill Israel's enemy. He was able to destroy Goliath. And there was great joy and there was great celebration. This is when um, the, they came back from the slaughter of the Philistines of the great victory and there is music and there is dancing. And in 1 Samuel 18, the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David, even the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. What's going on here? Well, if we're honest, we're very familiar with Saul's struggle. Hopefully not to the point of throwing spears at people to kill them, although we've done that in our hearts. But we can identify with Saul's issues here, with his struggle here, because we ourselves are sinners, aren't we? And so what you see here is that Saul, his, his loves were all messed up. That's where sin comes from. Our loves are all messed up. Either, either we love good things too much and above, or over and above the Lord, or we just love bad things. And at some level, it really comes back to we just love ourselves too much. And so what you have here with Saul is, is, is instead of praising God, saying, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, Goliath was killed. And we are delivered from our enemies. Because remember where they had just been for weeks. For weeks they had been where Israel is in fear and trembling because nobody has the courage to go take on Goliath. And Israel's in trouble. And now God raises up David. He raises up the champion, the conqueror of Israel. And He's able to kill Goliath. And they get the victory over the enemy. And everybody's praising God and rejoicing. But it says that Saul, when he heard the praises... And when he heard that David got more credit than him, it says Saul was very wroth. That's an old English word translation, but the idea in the Hebrews is, is he was boiling. He was flaming hot. He was angry. He was jealous. Why? Because Saul loved himself. He was a man after Saul's own heart. He was about Saul. And he said, What more? He, uh, he eyed David. I got my eye on him. Because he is a threat to what I love. And Saul loved himself. He loved his position. He loved his power. Saul loved himself. The reason that we um, are, can understand this struggle is because we're personally familiar with it, aren't we? Just a little, just a little this is one sampling of our sins. You, you have success at something and then someone else has more success at something. Instead of being happy for them and praising God for that, you're just, wait a second. They're better at that than me. Some of you guys in sports, you do well. Someone else does better. And what's your response? I want that. That's for me. Some of you young ladies think, I'm pretty beautiful. And then some beauty queen comes along and says, I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> Parents sometimes can, can, can be jealous of the success of other children because they think it makes mine not look as good. Like we said this morning, am I driving anybody's neighborhood? Right? Now, I know this kind of thing would never, ever happen among the saintly young people that we have here tonight. Okay, But just imagine, just imagine there's a scenario like this. Young lady A has her eye on boy X, we'll call him. But boy X has his eye on young lady B, not young lady A. And let's just say that young lady A says, I've got my eye on young lady B. And she's a threat to me, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get boy X's eyes off of B and back onto me. Whether it's gossip about her, whether it's slander, whether it's this or that, I want what that person has. Listen, we, we, can, we can apply that in a hundred different scenarios, can't we? But it all comes down to what? Saul and we love ourselves too much. Look at what Saul does. So, and, here, and here's the deal. We, we all are going to struggle with those roots of sin, but the admonition tonight is, is don't feed that. Okay? Don't feed that. You and I all, because we're sinners, we have the poison of jealousy and envy and too much self-love within our natures. But the Lord calls us as believers is it through the Spirit to put sins like that to death, to get the sword out and stab it to death and not feed it. But what did Saul do? Saul fed and nourished this love of self. And where did it take him? It took him to say, I'm I'm willing to murder you. I'm willing to throw a spear at you to kill you because I want to protect what I love. I love my position, my kingdom, my power. Look at what he did. Well, that doesn't work. David escapes. In verse 17, Saul says, well, I'll use my daughter to get to him. Manipulation. I'll use my daughter to get to him. It'll be the honor to be the son-in-law of the king. And so Saul says to David, verse 17, Behold, my elder daughter, Merab, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Hey, you get my daughter, you be the general, go go to battle a lot. Why? For Saul said, let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Now we're getting clever, aren't we? So I tried to kill him, it didn't work. Now I'll be nice to him. Hey David, David, you want to be my son-in-law? You see that, that daughter? Just just go fight some battles for me. And Saul's thinking, you know, chances are he's going to die in battle. It won't be through me, but I can still get rid of this threat to what I love, which is myself. I believe it was uh, John Owen that said these words, Be killing sin, or it will kill you. Believe or heed that tonight. Be killing sin, or it will kill you. Now praise the Lord. One day, one day, as our brother just preached to us, we will never, ever, ever, ever have to worry about that again. Praise be to God. But until we get there, but until we get there, we better be about the business of strapping up the sword and going to war every day, every day. Now let's look at David, Second Samuel chapter eleven. You, you know the story. I won't read it all, but just a few verses in Second Samuel eleven. Starting in verse 2. What, what we're doing in the first part of the message is, is what Scripture does. It's showing us. We have to see it. We have to see it. It hurts. It's showing us the ugliness of sin. The ugliness of sin. Verse 2. It came to pass in an evening tide that David arose up from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. Those flat roofs that they had in that architecture. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. David sees a beautiful woman. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. David kept looking at the beautiful woman. And he looked again. And he looked again. He began to have a strong desire for the forbidden. And he didn't stop there. He ignored what were surely the alarm bells of conscience just ringing really loudly in his head. But he he ignored it. And notice the language that says he sent and he took her. David took something for himself which was not his. All because in this moment, David pleasing his own forbidden desires was ruling his actions rather than the fear of God. Listen, this is David. This is David. The man after God's own heart. This is David who said, God, I care about your glory so much. I am willing... To go face that giant. Because because he has mocked you, and the battle is yours, and I care about your glory. This is the David who said, God, I fear you so much, and I trust you, I will not take vengeance on Saul, even though it will make my life easier right now. This is David who already had written many, many psalms of worship because he was the sweet psalmist of Israel, and he loved to worship God. He loved to worship God. In doing this, David was living for himself, selfish gratification. I'm the king. I'm willing to cross a line to get what I want. And I can do that. I'm the king. Because I want what I want, and I want it now, and I don't care what lines that I'm crossing. And you know what the prophet told him he really did? The heart of his sin. He said, David, you have despised God. You've despised God's command you set God's command aside. you fought thought little of God in this moment when you took for yourself what was not yours to take so that you could fulfill your own selfish desire. That's really the root of sin, whether it's this sin or any other sin. Now, if we need any more warning tonight, listen to this. We often hear, and you young people probably get tired of us picking on you, and we're sorry, but it'll just be that way. Um, we, we, we often hear warnings about the sins of youth, and that's appropriate and right because it's biblical. The Proverbs are full of it. Flee youthful loss, 2 Timothy, and all the rest. But listen, what about the sins, what about the warnings of the sins when you're past youth? David likely was about 50 years old. He'd already been mightily, mightily used by God. David had a palace. He had security. By his own mistake, he had multiple wives. He had popular opinion of the people. You might think, well, surely that's enough, right? Surely that's enough. But heed the wisdom of Proverbs 27.20 where it says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. You feed the sinful nature, it'll keep eating. It'll eat as long as you feed it. As long as you feed it. Kill sin, or it will be killing you. How does sin work? It tells us in the book of James... um, Uh, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust, his own desire, and enticed. And when lust, that desire, has conceived, it gives birth to action. When its lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. I remember Brother Bobby Pro preached that so well one time. He said, wherever you're at in the process, stop. (laughs) Wherever you're at, stop. So, So if David saw, he couldn't help that. But if he looked and he looked again, stop right there, David, Timothy, whoever you are. Stop right there. Go ahead and confess that right there. Then if, you have, um, if, if you've gone even further with this sin, whatever sin that it may be, wherever you are, stop it right there. Because you know what happens? As Brother Zach always says, sin takes you farther than you originally intended to go. So David goes into what I call sinfully creative overdrive. Right, i got a problem now. And I tell you what, the human mind can work well, really sharply when it's trying to cover up sin. Really, really sharply. And so David says, call Uriah back from the battle. Uriah, by the way, he was probably bad to the bone guys. He was one of the, David's mighty men, the, probably the elite, the special forces kind of a guy. Loyal to the king, loyal to God, loyal to the kingdom and fought the Lord's battles. So he brings Uriah back. Come on in, Uriah, sit down, man. I just How is the battle going? David didn't give a rip how the battle was going. What he was saying was, I want to manipulate you. I want to manipulate you. I can smile. I can hug you. I can say you're a great soldier. Thanks for helping out the kingdom. I'll tell you what, Uriah, look, you you deserve a couple of days off. Go spend some time with the family. By the way, I've got some catering. got a good meal for you, some wine, some good food. Go down there and have a good time with your family. You need the break. You need the refreshment. Then you can go back to the battle. And to David's shame, Uriah didn't go. It's like, King, all due respect, but we're fighting God's battles out there. There, There's work to be done. I can't be having a family vacation while my my men are out there working and labor. I'm sorry, I've got to go back. So David says, all right, let's go to plan B. Uriah, I'm going to send you a message with you over to Joab. You see how awful sin is? This is from David, a man after God's own heart. Be killing sin or it will kill you. Would you send this message to Joab? i got some military strategy for the battle. Don't look at it. Just send it on to him. And what is it? It's it's Uriah's death warrant. And it works. It works. It works. The snowball effect of sin. The snowball effect of sin. My study Bible, the Reformation Heritage KJB study Bible says it this way. A look led to lusting. Lusting led to adultery. Adultery led to lying. And lying led to the murder of a valiant soldier. Remember when we were at camp and we looked at the Lord's Prayer? We need to pray that one, don't we? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. What we're saying, Lord, would you so guard me? Don't let me be swallowed up by temptation. How about this prayer from Psalm 141? Lord, would you set a guard over my mouth? keep the door of my lips. It's like you're asking God to put a a guard dog or a a battalion of soldiers round about your mouth to keep me from saying things I don't need to say. Those are good prayers to pray, folks. Turn, Psalm 119, Lord, would you turn my eyes away from vanity? Don't don't let my gaze be be put away from Christ and His glory and His beauty and the beauty of the bride and all these, these glories that we have in your kingdom. Would you keep my eyes fixed and focused upon you and not this other stuff? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says, after it rehearses many of Israel's sins, one of the takeaways of the Apostle Paul there is, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Lest you fall. Now, as bad as that is, let me give you a little bit more ugliness. Here's the harvest of David's sin. He sowed the seeds of sin, and then he reaped a harvest. The harvest of David's sin looked like this. The death of the son between he and Bathsheba. Can you imagine the death of the son? You see David's anguish when he's praying. He's fasting. God, please have mercy. The death of his son. Within David's own household, immoral chaos. Immoral chaos. Within David's own household after that, murderous chaos. Murderous chaos. And then you have, even from his own family, a revolt of his own kingdom. An attempted overthrow of his own kingdom by his own son, Absalom. Listen, brothers and sisters, listen, when when we say that Jesus came to save us from our sins, that's a good thing, isn't it? To be saved from our sins. When, 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 When we're told in Scripture, hey, believer, reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. Hey, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto iniquity. Yield yourselves to God when Paul is exhorting the young preacher Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, run away from youthful desires, but run after godliness. Run after righteousness and faith and and love. Run, pursue those things. He says, hey, hey, Timothy, go to the gym, spiritually speaking. He says, exercise yourself for the purpose of godliness, because godliness has promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. See, we've got to believe that, don't we? We've got to believe that that Lord walking with you uh, to be a doorkeeper in your house is way way better than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, as Dan preached to us earlier today. Now let's think about this for a moment before we look at the grace of repentance. That's the ugliness of sin. Can you imagine living in Israel around this time? <laughs> Maybe after the revolt. I don't know. And somebody says it's kind of like the first time I went to Nicaragua. I got there, the taxi driver said, "What do you do?" I said, "I'm a pastor." He said, "You're a good one or a bad one." I think I'm a good one. I hope, you know, bad reputation down there for pastors, deservedly so. Somebody would say, "You're a good old Israelite." Hey, your king. Tell me about your king. Is he a pretty good one? It's complicated. <laughs> it's compl- Listen, he killed our enemy Goliath when nobody else had the courage to. He loves to worship God. Let me show you some of these psalms that he's written. He, he's been a faithful king. He cares about God's glory. But it's complicated. It's complicated. Remember how we've been talking about how that that Jesus is a that David is a type of Christ, that David prefigures Jesus? But I want you to know it's not in every way. If somebody's to ask you, Christian, tell me about your king. Is he a good one or a bad one? You don't have to say it's complicated. It's not complicated at all. It's not complicated at all. He's righteous. He's holy. There's no spot in him. There's no stain in him. There's no need for repentance in Jesus. Because he is as David preached our righteousness. Our righteousness. So it's not complicated. It's not confusing. All the David and all the rest in his line of the kings, they all leave something to be desired, don't they? All leave something to be desired. Even David, maybe the best of all, and we have this we think about Manasseh, him and Midian, hardly anything good there. Other than praise God, he brought him to repentance at the end. Josiah, great stuff, and then some, uh, don't read those chapters. But we, what is it doing? It's leaving us wanting, hoping, desiring, anticipating. When will that ideal king of Deuteronomy 17 finally get here? Brothers and sisters, he has come. He has come and He has conquered and He has died for us and He's risen again and He's at God's right hand preparing a wedding for us. Hallelujah. Not complicated with King Jesus. Now, the grace of repentance. The grace of repentance. God hates sin. In fact, when it's given the narrative in 2 Samuel 11, it comes to the end of all that David did and with a classic biblical understatement, it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. God hates sin. But I want you to know tonight from the truth of God's Word that God loves repentance. God loves repentance. Repentance is beautiful to God. Repentance glorifies God. Like, how can I live a life that glorifies God? Do some repenting. God is glorified by those who acknowledge, Oh Lord, I, I have that same root sin that Saul has. I haven't thrown a spear at anybody. But I have that same too much love for self. God, I want to repent of that. Lord, sometimes I I might even manipulate people to protect what I love too much. Lord, I've looked too much at this or that. Lord, I've, I've allowed myself forbidden desires. Cleanse me. Wash me. Give me grace. Let me find a Jonathan to help me overcome this. God loves stuff like that. He loves... Repentance. Now here's the difference. We, I, I talked about Saul first for, for a reason. There's a difference between Saul and David. There's common, um, commonality, similarities and big differences. What's the commonality? They both sinned. <laughs> they both did some lousy things. Here's the difference. David's life was marked by repentance and Saul's wasn't. David's life was marked by repentance and Saul's. When Saul is confronted with his sin, excuses, ah, I didn't really do that. It was best it looked. And da, 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 da. Or it was the crocodile tears. It was fake repentance. Like earlier, we looked at, I think, this morning, maybe it was last night, whenever, whenever David's about to, to uh, could have killed him, and he holds off, he proves to Saul, here's your sword, here's your water, I could have killed you, I didn't. And Saul says, oh, David, man, I'm so sorry. I'm such a bad guy, and you're a great guy, and I'm so sorry, and I'm just going to leave, and we all know what's going to happen. What does he do? A couple of months later, he's back on the warpath coming after David. He didn't repent. He could even see his sin was wrong in a way, but he didn't hate his sin. You know why? Because he loved himself too much and he kept loving himself too much. That's not repentance. What's repentance? When David's confronted with his sin, Oh Lord, I have sinned. I have done foolishly. In 2 Samuel 24, when he sins with the numbing of Israel, it says, His heart smote him. God, that was my pride. That was my sin. What does repentance do? Repentance names our sins before God. Repentance agrees with God about our sins. And it confesses uh, to, God, to God our sins. And it turns away from sin. And part of a lifestyle of repentance is roaring and fighting and killing sin. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? A lifestyle of daily turning from something and turning to something. It's keeping short accounts with God. But just, in our, just for a few minutes in closing... If you need help repenting tonight, would you turn with me to Psalm 51? Psalm 51. This is the psalm, as the title of the psalm says, when Nathan the prophet came to David after he had gone into Bathsheba. We won't read the whole thing, but I do want to glean from a few verses for a few minutes tonight. David says, Have mercy upon me, O God. Now the word mercy here is beautiful. It it means to stoop in kindness to an inferior. Isn't that a good picture? To stoop in kindness to and in fear. God, sin has brought me low. So I need, you to, I need you to kneel and stoop down to where I'm at. Have mercy on me, God. But you know what you could say? Mercy? You're a murderer. You're asking, you're asking a holy God for mercy? He values life and you took it away. Mercy? Based on What? God loves marriage. The purity of it, as Dan preached to us. You want mercy based on what? But Here's the beautiful thing about David. Here's what I love. If there's anything I love about David, I love this about David. David knew something. David knew his God. He knew the character of his God. That's why he had the audacity to say, Have mercy. Because David knew his God. Based on what? Well, based on this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to... Based on this, according to thy loving kindness. I know Him, David could say. I know Him. I don't deserve it. I can't bargain with Him for it. But I know who He is. And He is a God of covenant love. He's a God of steadfast faithfulness. I know it. He's revealed it to me. I've experienced, David, could say, God, have mercy not based upon my family name. Don't have mercy based upon me because I killed Goliath. I don't want to bargain. I don't have any chips to to, trade with you. Just have mercy because you are a God of covenant, faithfulness, of loving kindness to your children. That's how you can start to repent. According to the multitude. Don't you love that? The multitude. Kids, that means a lot. Um, the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. This expression tender mercies is beautifully translated. These Hebrew words have a lot of word meanings, but, but one of the ones from this word is it speaks of a mother's womb and of compassion. Of compassion. Now we've heard a lot of crying babies tonight, haven't we? Bless you mothers. <laughs> what do you think about a mother's womb and compassion? That little baby's crying, come here, come here. You're mine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna I'm gonna calm you down because you're mine. So, sinner, right? Sinner, you can come to God and say, God, would you do like that to me? In my sin, in my filth, would you have mercy upon me according to the compassions of a mother's womb, as it were? According to the multitude, Lord, of your tender mercies. David wants to be cleansed. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, he says. Well, let's skip down. We might ask this question. We might ask this question, well, wait a second. I thought God was holy. I thought God was just. You mean that God can just kind of snap His fingers and tell a murderer and an adulterer that He's forgiven? It's just that easy? David knows better. David knows better. David knows something. Look at verse 7. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What are you talking about? Hyssop? If you hadn't read the Bible, you may have heard of hyssop. (laughs) I haven't, except for this. But it's an herb from the mint family, if you want to know. But hyssop has powerful imagery in the ceremonial law. There was a ceremony for the purification of a leper. And in that ceremony of the purification of a leper, two birds were killed. And, 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 and the, the, the live bird, they would take cedar and hyssop and the blood of the slain bird and sprinkle it upon the living bird. And what would happen? The living bird would fly away free. It was also used in the Passover when the death angel was coming through and he said, kill the Passover lamb and get a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood of that Passover lamb and put it upon the doorpost of the house. And what would happen? That house would be spared from the death angel. What would happen to the leper? He would be declared to be clean and healed from his leprosy. So when David was saying, God, would you purge me with hyssop? He's looking past the ceremony and he's recognizing by faith God, based upon a blood sacrifice that you will provide, purge me and cleanse me and wash me. And you know where that's pointing, don't you? That's pointing to the Lamb of God that was slain, the greater David. The son of David died for David. The son of David bore the guilt and the adultery and the murder and the conniving and the deception and the lying of David. And so David says, Purge me with hyssop, Lord, and I shall be clean. So in our sins we can sometimes feel so defiled and so wretched that we dare not approach or see. I don't know if He really will. Look at, what, look at David's boldness here. It's pretty audacious, isn't it? But he does it because he knows his God, and he knows the sacrifices God will provide. It says in Hebrews 9, Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Listen, the Scripture speaks in Revelation 1, Unto him that loved us, get this, and washed us from our sins, in his precious blood. Isaiah 1: Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Praise God. Can God do that? God can do that. Jesus has done that. Praise be to his name. Well, in closing, let's, let's look at this just briefly. David knows he needs restoration. And he knows what God wants. Verse 6: Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David said, God, you want the real deal. You don't want anything fake. You don't want anything halfway. You want truth in the hidden parts. Verse 10, God, you can give that. Verse 10, here's David's prayer. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That's a prayer of repentance. God, based upon the fact that You've cleansed me by the blood sacrifice of Jesus, now I need renewal. I need cleansing. So where I love myself too much, Lord, create within me a heart that dies to self and is far more enamored with You than myself. God, create within me a heart where I don't despise You and Your ways, but rather I prize You and I'm willing to die to my sinful flesh in order for You to be glorified and praised Lord, create within me a heart that would say, "You know what? If if that boy likes young lady B, I'll be okay." Now, I don't mean that trivial. Those are real life, boots on the ground struggles, aren't there? Aren't they? Because if I have the Lord, I can be content with Him, and He will lead me and He will guide me. I don't want to hate someone with my actions. I want to love them. Lord, create within me a heart that's satisfied and content with You, and bows. Before your ways. And you know what's encouraging? God can, and God does do that. God creates within us again and again. He renews within us clean hearts and renews right spirits within us. In David this weekend, we have seen, we have seen blessed moments, faithful moments, wretched moments. But in all of it, in David's life and the lives of all of his people, What we see most of all is the faithfulness of a covenant God. May God's grace be upon you here at Grace Chapel.